If you're looking for a clean, sober, professional, academic, well-researched, historically accurate, generally accurate, serious podcast on Southern folklore, ghosts, bizarre events, and unique people, this podcast is not for you. However, if you've decided you can live with that, then join us for The Strange South. In Pod Basement, we have our friend Jen here. Yes. Hi. And we have Courtney, the bartender here. Hi. Yes. Hi. Who has made, what is this again? Negroni, Negroni twist. twist. Oh my God. It's really good. I'm a big fan. Of course, I say that every time. I don't think there's been like an episode <laughs> where she's made something where I'm like, eh. It's okay. Well, we don't love everything, because back when we mixed red wine with Coke... Oh, yeah. But that was on us, though. <laughs> that, that was not Courtney's doing. That was like... That was our, our redneck uh, cocktail phase. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. We do have standards. <laughs> yeah. this it's not like our bar is super low, you right. know? Half-step san- uh, standards. <clears throat> Y'all, I'm going... I'm already like halfway through, and I'm not going first, so... I know. And I'm, I'm going first. I've got a lot to talk about. Okay. But before then, do we have anything that we want to talk about from last episode? Is there anything? I, I listened to a little bit of my uh, Tally Poe tale. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I read the folklore directly from the book. I don't think I'm ever going to do that again. Why? <laughs> I just felt very weird. It was like reading in class, you know, and I felt like I came across as like I'm reading in class where it's like, uh, blah, blah. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I just felt that way. I was like, I don't want to feel like I'm reading in class because that was like a huge source of anxiety for me. Oh, really? You know, growing reading up, in class reading was? in class, mm-hmm. you know, having to wait your turn and then like sitting there and staring at the passage and rereading it and reading it and reading it. And then it's your turn and just like, fuck. (laughs) And yeah, you just like freeze. That was me all during junior high, well, elementary, junior high and high school. It's like, don't fucking make me read. Don't fucking make me read. Uh, Ah! I can sympathize with that. I remember like sitting there and when you had to read like round Robin and everybody had to read a paragraph or something like that. Mm -hmm. I remember not hearing anything anybody else said because I was rereading my own paragraph over and over again. It is the worst teeth. It's a horrible method. Teacher, you need to read that shit (laughs) and don't count on, you know, unless it's strictly for having the kids practice high anxiety Mm. situations i think it's perfect it seems unethical somehow right (laughs) and there's enough high anxiety situations in school but it happens a lot right so well i don't think i haven't listened to it yet so i know maybe it sounds different on the like recording but i didn't think i'm sure it's fine it's just me (laughs) just double doubting myself don't do it (laughs) don't doubt yourself You can sell anything if you believe in it. (laughs) (laughs) Just own it. Just own it. Yes. Well, it's done and over with. Yeah. Lessons learned. Yeah, and we're we're squeezing in a lot. Like we because you guys have heard us bitch about how busy we are lately, and uh, we and with me being out of town last week, it's like we had that recording, and that was in real time, our time. What like four days ago? Yeah. And then we so had to now we're just, another one. Yeah, and I've been out of town again for a day and a half. So now we're just like shitting these things out. Like <laughs> we don't even I don't even know what I'm talking about today. Ooh. But we do it with love. 
Yes. We <laughs> shit with love. <laughs> oh my god. For some reason that uh, actually this might this might kind of play into some of what I'm going to talk about, but <laughs> we said shit. So, and vacation. <laughs> and all I could think about was the fact that when we were at Gulf Shores last week, we like, you know, a lot we get those little chairs that um you know that they're like the half chairs. Only, yeah, the little yeah. half chairs. They're <clears throat> like somebody's just sawn them off, right? And you sit in the 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 shallow waves, and you just kind of lay back. Best and ever. Yeah, like I'm swaying right now. <laughs> um, and so we're we're sitting. We didn't have the chair out very much, but we we're kind of sitting down, and we looked down, and we we're like the girls kept on saying, "There's chocolate sprinkles all over the beach." Oh, what no. is this? And we we're like, is is it like sea? Maybe it's seaweed. Maybe it's seeds or mm-hmm. something like that. And but it just kept on. And then Courtney reaches down and she's like rubbing it between her fingers. She's like, "This is disintegrating when mm. I touch it." And we're like, "Okay." So I went out with the girls and I came back and Randy has Googled it and he's like, "That is shrimp poop. Oh that my is God. just tons and tons and tons of ghost shrimp shit." <laughs> And it's like we would watch people walking down the beach doing their like romantic walk <laughs> down the beach. And then like and Courtney's like, hey, look at the bottom of their feet. And it's like completely black Covered. with shrimp <laughs> shit. <laughs> it's like... And so of course, like I'm so looking, romantic. I'm fascinated now. I'm like looking up videos and I was like, have you ever seen a shrimp shit? So I'm like looking up YouTube oh videos God. of shrimp shitting. Well, you know, when you clean them, they've got that big huge vein. That's exactly what Courtney said. She's like, you never get all the shit out of the shrimp no, when you eat you it. You end up eating it, so yeah. <laughs> but, Swimming uh, in shrimp. We shit. were all, and you know, you know, you're doing it anyways. Right. You're at the ocean or you're in a pond. You know, you're swimming in somebody's shit, right? Yeah, birds, but you don't have fish. to look at it, right? And uh, so that was interesting because all those little tiny holes, like when the when the tide's coming in and going back out, and you see, I always thought those were ghost crab holes, crab holes. But the ghost crab actually, I think, generally live up further away from the. Mm-hmm. I mean, they go in the water and everything and i'm sure some of those are theirs but a lot of those holes apparently are ghost shrimp holes and for randy's like researching he goes down the rabbit hole mm-hmm. 15 feet deep these damn holes can holy go holy shit and and shrimp they shit and and then you can see them like when the tide comes in and you just see these little like geysers of shit just fly out of these holes oh it's my god <laughs> Happy vacation. <laughs> yes. Okay. First of all, I've never heard of ghost shrimp. So that's kind of new. I guess they're, I just thought, you know, I don't remember looking at them much. Aren't they, they're kind of translucent and white and they're small. Mm-hmm. Just like the ghost crabs are, which mm-hmm. my kids realized they could catch with their hands this year. So it's like a whole new g- game right. next time. Um, but yeah, I guess that's what they are. They're, I'll ask our friend Dave. He knows all the things. Yeah. That's that's funny. Ghost <laughs> shit shrimp shrimp shit go shit yes. <clears throat> it's really hard to shrimp sh- shrimp shrimp shit. shit. It's really hard to say. Yeah. So I was. Let's see. And then I was out of town. Do we have more? Um. Do we have any more housekeeping? We've already talked about the the the. Not much has happened show. with me. I've, it's been like three days. Yeah, it's been like three days, and I've been prepping this for the past two, and then having to do all. Adult stuff, not adult stuff, but like prep, school <laughs> prep. We are likely to have a local, local show to you locals in September, but we're not sure of the date yet. Right. 
So we'll keep you posted. Follow on socials because you'll know faster on socials right. than anything else. Exactly. So, yeah, I guess besides that, I mean, uh, like I said, I was out of town. So I was out of town this weekend in Georgia visiting my not grandbaby. And because um, I'm too young to have a grandbaby. And when we got home <clears throat> last night, you know, we I had my arms full of stuff. You know, I was just carrying in bags and trash and all this. And uh, the two kids were jumping out of the car. And I gave Avi my, my keys. And she ran up to the door. And I'm, like, just kind of looking down, grabbing everything. And she's like, what is that? Which isn't something you normally hear in that tone from her. Normally mm-hmm. she's like, ooh, what is that? Mm-hmm. Because she wants to know all the things. But this was like a, Wow. So I look up and there's this like fist sized fuzzy thing hanging from my door. And um, it really took me like two or three double takes before I realized that it was a bat. Mm -hmm. Because I was like, okay, is this some giant beetle? Is this like some (laughs) horrible, like massive? I don't know what it was. So there's a bat hanging right over my my door when we were going inside. So I'm like trying to usher the kids in, praying that it's not going to like drop on us or Mm -hmm. um. So we've had the bat there before. His name is Rascal. Mm. Rascal Bats. He's back. He's back. And I managed to go outside and like shift him off of my door with a rake, like the the soft plastic tined rakes, not the sharp ones. But I took like the big angular soft rake and Mm -hmm. after two or three tries got him to let go of the door and then he grabbed onto the rake and I'm like walking through my garage trying to figure out where I'm going to put him. And then I realized he's not letting go of the rake, like no matter right. what I do. This so I'm like, new home. <laughs> I'm holding my arms up in the air, trying to get this damn bat to get off of my rake. And so, uh, but he found a new home, he, but like I had been, I had had critters on my brain for mm-hmm. like a while. So since I didn't have a lot of time to prep for the show, I'm totally just talking about critters today. Oh, starting with rascal bats. Um, Yes. Well, it's a good thing that you move him. I mean, because guano. I know. Well, that's how we found out that he was there the last time. We didn't Mm -hmm. know he was there. Mm -hmm. There's there are some little plywood strips that are on the top of my garage and they come loose in the humidity. And one of them had just kind of sagged and he had made a home in the sag of that plywood strip. So you couldn't really see him. Mm-hmm. But we came out every morning and there was this weird dumpy shit on the floor. Mm-hmm. And we're like, what is happening? And then we, after a couple of days, we realized it's the same place every day. And it took way too long for us to put <laughs> two and two together. But he finally left that time. Yeah, I didn't want to be shit on by right. a bat. So much animal shit in this episode. So much animal shit. But I was actually starting talking about a different kind of critter okay <clears throat> so there's an article that i found from the 1986 god this is printed so tiny i don't even know if i can read it the 1986 shreveport times um and let's see it starts with this story it all happened in my neighborhood renton's northwood rustin's northwood terrace when miss mabel may lost her annual battle against the graveyard grasshoppers hold on rustin Mm-hmm. I have friends that live in Ruston. Okay. Interesting. Well, they have this. Okay. See, it's just like it says in the Bible, they've returned to rule the world. And he's talking about every year, this one woman, Miss Mabel May, goes out and has to wage war against these grasshoppers that attack her, her daylily beds. And um, 
let's see. He says that like she has she's nevertheless each this is I am so telling this story badly. I was gonna read the whole thing and now I'm not going to. Because it's funny, but it's long. <laughs> there are these grasshoppers here. They have them all across the southeast, but mostly in Louisiana and Alabama and Mississippi. You hear a lot more about them there. Mm-hmm. They're called the Southeastern Lubber Grasshopper, but they're also called the Devil's Horse and the <laughs> Graveyard Grasshopper. I never heard them called the Graveyard Grasshopper. That's interesting. That's more familiar, apparently, than the Devil's Horse. Okay. Which I hadn't heard the I Devil's either. Horse. Yeah, I hadn't heard that either. That's what Jen found. Jen, who's here today, has brought these up to me again because... And so, Anniston is one of the areas where they have a huge population in the summers. Mm -hmm. They're this random ass critter. And if you don't like bugs, you couldn't live. Like, I mean, most of us don't like bugs, right? But if you have big problems with like coexisting with Mm -hmm. bugs, you could not live in the South, I imagine. Right, no. There are too many of these things. There's too many, exactly. It's like we have, I mean, at my house, we've got scorpions, black widows, brown recluses. We've got roaches, roaches, German roaches. All kinds of shit. Florida, y'all got palmetto bugs. Yes. Yeah, and cow killers. We have cow killer ants. Mm -hmm. Um, So these lubbers, um, if you've never heard of them before, they only come out in the summer. They're... specifically located in only certain places too so it's not like they're all across the southeast right i've never heard of them until i moved to alabama neither had i and the first time i saw one i was we had just moved to jacksonville that year and the summer came around and i remember driving up highway 21 through campus on jsu and seeing something crossing the road like probably like I don't know, I'm not good with like distance. Maybe like 20 yards. Ahead. I don't know. It was it was not close to me. Right. Like I would say maybe three car lengths ahead. Mm-hmm. And I thought that it was like a rodent or like a chipmunk that was somehow deformed <laughs> because it wasn't walking right. And as I got closer, I realized it's this big ass fucking grasshopper. And I'm not even like, so they say that they can get up to three inches long and that's total bullshit because I know I've seen them bigger than three inches. Absolutely. They are the heaviest grasshopper in the United States. Got a lot of guts. They are so fucking nasty. (laughs) They're these big, like, and I'm like making probably a six inch span with my fingers right now. Maybe that's an exaggeration, but I seriously don't think it is. Jen, is that an exaggeration? That is not an exaggeration. (laughs) These things come out in swarms, Mm -hmm. like all at one time of the year. And um, so they're black and they've got like a little wicked racing stripe, like a little red racing stripe down each side. They and look like the devil. I mean, they do. They they're just like yes. They're and they're so demonic big, looking. and they're really like bad for yards and all kinds of stuff. And they're just fucking creepy. When mm-hmm. they first come out, they're cute. Jen says they're cute when they first because they're smaller. Don't they? Like do they change color? Size as babies. Yeah. So as babies, they're normal size, but they grow exponentially fast because they eat a lot. Yeah, and they can eat anything. Mm-hmm. So like they don't. They're not picky. They don't go after just one or two things they'll eat anything at all right and your cats well and that's what you know jen's been talking about them in her yard because she's finding half bodies of them which i'm surprised now i was like maybe there's a cat eating your grasshoppers but apparently they're they taste like shit 
So they don't have any natural predators. And that's like another huge problem with these things is nothing likes to eat them. We were walking to um, yoga class a couple of weeks ago and walking through our um, our studio yard and just started pointing them out. And I think we, we counted like seven just on the tiny walk from the end of the driveway into the house. And then as we got up to the end, we heard this like crack, 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 crack. Psh! And one of them had like overpowered the wisteria branches at the top of the driveway and fallen through and like splatted on the ground and just goes like hopping through i mean they're that heavy yeah if those things yeah if they're overhead then i'm going inside and coming out until it's cold and oh yeah they don't jump they're not good at anything see this is the thing i don't understand why they exist they eat and that's it i don't Mm -hmm. know what they contribute to the universe they like they don't jump they I, or they do, but they jump like stupid. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they can't jump high. They're these massive things, but they can't jump high off the ground. So they kind of just lumber around and fall. Like you see them <laughs> fall over a lot. They can't fly, but they do have wings. Oh, that would be terrifying. It'd be Th- oh my be god if they flew. I keep on thinking because everybody talks about like biblical swarms yeah, of locusts right. whenever we talk about these things. I think I would I would fall out. Yes. Um, they if you get too close to them, apparently they will hiss. But I've never seen them do it. Yeah, they haven't either. And I've been pretty close to them. I have too. I mean, you can just walk right up to them. I've heard that, yeah, they don't seem to be afraid of anything. Mm -hmm. Right. But apparently they will. They will, like, vomit on you. That's one of their main techniques of defense. And the only real one that they have is they will vomit up this weird, nasty, like, tobacco juice spit all over you if they want you to let them go. Um, So if you Mm. pick them up with your hands, you will probably end up getting... First you could, I know, Jen's like no. disgusted by this. Yes. You would, you can get like a fistful of tobacco spit. Um, but so they're called graveyard grasshoppers because they predominantly would have come out in graveyards. Oh my god! So like I was telling you, there are only certain areas where they come from, and um, they seem to be like in in our area, for instance, they have them in the city of Jacksonville. They don't have them outside the city. They don't even have them on the south end of the city. Right. They have a pretty narrow range. Right. And in Anniston, it's inside the city in certain areas, but they're rain- they have a pretty small radius of, you know. Right. And they, they don't just like breed and expand. It's yeah. kind of like they breed and stay in that one area because they all so infest the same damn right. yard. They're yeah. so big that they don't, they're not very mobile. They no. don't. You know. Yeah, they don't go far. And um, they probably move the most when they're babies, like right. when they're small and they can go places. But um, they, they tend to stay in like well irrigated areas or areas that like retain moisture mm-hmm. is one of the things like in so they would have like nesting grounds around ponds or irrigation ditches. But, you know, they they tend to plant a lot of um, trees around graveyards and things like that and keep the I mean, I guess keep the sun out. So maybe the moisture stays. But there were a bunch of people that I found online saying, because I was trying desperately to figure out why they had these names. They're the devil's grasshopper and the graveyard Mm -hmm. grasshopper. The devil's horse. Yes. Mm -hmm. Not the devil's grasshopper. Um, And, uh, and the grave, a lot of more people talked about the graveyard thing because they were like, oh yeah, they were all over the graveyards when we were kids. So it's a, it's a thing. It's a thing. Um, they're, uh, we figure they're called the devil's horse probably because they're red and black and wicked and gross and fucking indestructible. I mean, I don't know. I mean, that wouldn't. Right. I thought maybe there'd be a story behind it, <laughs> but there doesn't have to be. I mean, they're just like a horse sized grasshopper. It really is. Yes. Um, so uh, they don't have any predators because they taste like shit. Chickens won't eat them. 
Um, some say that you can fish with them. Actually, there's a really, really successful fishing lure called the devil's horse, but it's because it doesn't taste like a devil's horse, <laughs> you know? So it like, it has all the pretty colors right. and it is the same size, but it doesn't taste like shit. Cause apparently like fish will spit them out. Oh, wow. Like if you throw pieces of them into a pond, fish will spit these little suckers out. Um, insecticides can't kill them because they're too big mm-hmm. to kill. So like if you take a, a can of wasp spray and just like isolate one and spray it individually, you could probably get it down. Right. But you can't you can't use like broad insecticides because they're too big to kill that way. Mm-hmm. So they look like nothing ever happened to them. Right. And that's why probably they're called the devil's horse. So the only way that you can really kill them is to like go to hand in hand combat. <laughs> Foot. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Jen says she just runs them over with her car. Right. Which does work. It does work. And does make a very loud sound when you do it. Oh, my God. That's like the thing. running over bodies. It is. Oh, she's just kind of like hitting a small child. I know. Because the exoskeleton is they're so big that you can audibly hear somebody else step on one of these from like two houses mm-hmm. away. They're so fucking big. So I found this. There was this... um yard maintenance site that had information about these things that talked about them. One guy said, my son taught me how to grab them by the hind legs and throw them forcefully onto the pavement that stuns them long enough so that you can kill them with something else. Um, He said other destructive but satisfying killing techniques neighbors have shared with me include a shotgun, firecrackers, road flares, (laughs) weed whackers. Oh my God, that's just messy. (laughs) I'm thinking about a propane garden torch next year when the nymphs come out. No, I I seriously, like you could probably throw them on fire pits. They would probably jump out and... Like, well, maybe not. They're, on fire. They're, they don't jump really. Well, right? that's true. They can't jump. So, yeah. I mean, your karma may be like. <laughs> yeah. They do destroy crops. I okay. mean, they well, will then, yeah. kill shit. Yeah. They but the will. propane torch idea, I kind of like. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <gonna> be- <laughs> There's, let's see. Um, somebody reported that they'd seen a swamp rat carry one off. Oh, um, they, somebody said that they purr when they mate. What? So I don't know. That's a weird one. Um, this one person says between 10 a.m. And th- and this was from uh, Reserve, Louisiana. Some of these were from the Everglades. Um, this one's from Louisiana. Between 10 a.m. and 3 p.m. today alone, I stomped on 110 of them. Oh I've been God. killing nearly 200 a day for two weeks. Wow. Um, Maybe like some anger management side. classes need to like just come out. Shut and people just, down. And, and just stomp fest. Somebody says use WD-40. Um, they all deserve to die. <laughs> uh, let's see. The only thing that will kill them is repeated blunt force trauma. I believe that. Um, I actually found a Reddit story of a guy that like he wrote pages and pages of <laughs> this account of him realizing that these were going to grow in his backyard and to the point where like they made noise at night and he would go out in his pajamas at 3 a.m. and take a shovel and just start like oh smashing God. everything they bring inside. out the rage in people for sure <laughs> so uh like i said i looked for a story that explained where the name had come from. I was like, oh, it'd be great if there was some mythology or something associated with this. And I couldn't. They're mm-hmm. just they're just fucking weird. Right. But I found a couple of other things. So like while I was looking, there's a there's a Choctaw myth about grasshoppers, and I didn't know about this. Like I said, this is a crapshoot episode. So all critters all the time. This is like an origin story though from the Choctaw. Um 
in from Louisiana. It said, soon after the earth was made, men and grasshoppers came to the surface through a long passageway that led from a cavern inside the earth. And deep in the earth, men and grasshoppers have been created by Abba, the great spirit, having been formed out of yellow clay. And they both tried to reach the surface together going through that passageway. And then when they would come out, they would scatter in all directions. But um, it said the mother of the grasshoppers at last, who had remained in the cavern, was killed by the men. And as a consequence, nobody, no more grasshoppers could reach the surface. And even those that lived on the earth were known to the Choctaw as Eske Ile, or Mother Dead. However, men continued to reach the surface, and they moved about and trampled on the grass and trampled on the grasshoppers, killing and hurting them. So they became alarmed, and they closed up the passageway, and all the men that were remaining in the cavern changed to ants. <laughs> and since then, ants have come out of holes in the ground. Oh, wow. So that's it's like an origin story of men, grasshoppers, and ants. Okay. And the long-lasting animosity, I guess, between men and grasshoppers <laughs> in, in the South. Right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I don't, like, um, let's see. There was one other that I found, too. And this was, this kind of goes on a curve. Still critters. But um, it's about dragonflies because I found out that they're also called the devil's horse. I was oh. like, man, people were assholes to dragonflies. <laughs> but, like, then I found out they're carnivorous and... Like, they're actually really good insect hunters and stuff like that. So oh, maybe they're wow. not as... Like, I always thought of dragonflies as, like, kind of princessy things and, like, pretty. <laughs> and, you know, they're, they're like, all bejeweled. All things and, must die. <laughs> I know, right? And they're they're pretty ruthless, I guess. But they were called they were called the devil's horse in Europe. Like, it's an old British European term. Um, but in the South, they were called the snake doctor. Okay. Have you ever heard this before? No. Okay, so they call dragonflies snake doctors or the darning needle because there was another, there was like the devil's needle was something that they had called them in Europe. And that came from the idea that if children lied, that the um, the dragonflies would stitch up the mouths and eyes of lying children. Oh my God. Yeah, I mean, like they made That's kids terrified of dragonflies. Of it. Yeah. So this isn't quite the same. As okay. That. But they said, uh, so in... Um, in southeastern folklore, apparently, um, they called the dragonfly the devil's horse, or no, I'm sorry, the snake, the snake doctor, because everywhere you could see a snake, you would see a dragonfly. Huh. And they assumed that the dragonflies were there to feed and guard the snakes. Okay. And they said that dragonflies would warn rattlesnakes if someone was coming close to them. Okay. And then they said that, um, I'm going to fucking freak out now every time I see a dragonfly. I know, fly, right? I'm going to be like, where's the snake? Well, I was going to say, we see them mostly on the creek where you see a whole bunch of right? like rat snakes and moccasins. Mm -hmm. So, um, but uh, they said that if a snake got injured, the dragonfly would stitch up his injuries and save him. So the dragonfly yeah. stayed around the snake as the doctor to the snake. Okay. And that Hence somebody the somebody said, unless you cut off a snake's head, a snake doctor can bring it back to life, even though its body may have been badly mutilated. That was like... So weird. So that was a weird story that I had never heard before yeah. about dragonflies. But um, yeah, I mean, I had a couple other like little things, but I didn't have a lot to say. <laughs> I just mostly wanted to talk about the asshole grasshoppers. Oh my gosh. Yes. 
they're really actually they are beautiful i mean if you don't have like the hatred and you don't have to be around them just looking at them Mm -hmm. i mean just graphically they're like you know black and red and if you have like a pattern of them they look kind of cool but no not when you're having to run over them or move them to the side or worry that you're gonna have a flat because you ran over 200 of them (laughs) on your bike um Oh, yeah. I didn't think about that. The people on the trails and yeah, stuff. Yeah, they run over bikes. all the time. I mean, that's where I mostly see them squished is when they're on the trail and there's like just carcasses everywhere. Because nothing will eat them either. Yeah, when they're nothing, dead, they won't come and eat them. So right, you just have no, to flick them away and wait till they rot. There must be something that you could utilize. I mean, if they are such a detractant, maybe like you smear it on something to keep like the deer from eating your corn or something, you know, Hmm. there has to be like some kind of useful way to use whatever it is that keeps people or anything from eating it. You know, I did find one thing that said that they had used the, I think it's chitin maybe is the way that they, the chitin chitin Mm -hmm. to make cough syrup and that they used to collect grasshoppers and large grasshoppers to like harvest that off of I guess it's the scaly it's like hard exoskeleton right, stuff isn't right, it yes and they would make um cough syrup out of it so it has medicinal Rose. value well first of all how the fuck did they figure that out I don't know people eat weird shit that's true they do it they do eat like uh not cr- the crickets right mm-hmm. do they eat grasshoppers too in other I wouldn't eat these but yeah totally yeah so chocolate covered grasshoppers yeah maybe maybe sounds a, sounds like a thing Crunchy. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. The Goat House Beer Garden in Montgomery is our favorite place to go when we're in Alabama's capital, whether it's to do a show, to visit a dilapidated movie set, or to flip off the governor's mansion. (laughs) So I was talking to James and he was telling me that the Goat House highlights local artists, singer-songwriters, makers, chefs, brewers, and entrepreneurs of all types. Just like the Strange South, Mm -hmm. big supporter. They intentionally support only original content because they believe that communities begin, grow, and sustain when creatives and entrepreneurs thrive. It's a great atmosphere, great company, and a lot of fun. And it's less than 10 minutes from Hank Williams' grave, which is haunted. So next time you go to say hi to old Hank, stop by the Goat House Beer Garden. All right, we're back. Hi. Hello. I am recording. Yes, (laughs) Yes, ma'am. <laughs> I make sure. I, I have like those panic moments where I'm like, did I put this, the SD card in? And oh, God. Did I place? <laughs> no. One of those days I'm going to get a call from Patrice and it's going to be like, okay. <laughs> hope not. <laughs> I hope not. We have to do it again. <laughs> Just do it exactly like you did it before. Yeah, and you never can. You never Ooh. can. Because that's what happened when I was recording that first podcast with my brother. Uh, it we were using the computer to record with and the computer like froze like 15 minutes in and we like talked for an hour and 30. Oh my God. <laughs> and there was some funny shit being said. Um, I totally missed it. We were just like, fuck. <laughs> Forget it. All right. So my story is one that I've kind of kept in my pocket and I wanted to like really get into this deep, but it's going to be what it's going to be. So <laughs> this is about Louise Catherine Wooster, who was okay. the famous madam of Birmingham. Ooh. And the more I read about her, the more that I'm like, 
this lady was such a fucking badass <laughs> and that she really was born in the wrong century. Uh, she would have been amazing like now. Uh, but she was born uh, Louise Catherine Wooster in 1842 in Tuscaloosa, Alabama to William Wooster and Mary Chisholm Wooster. Her father died when she was nine years old and uh, her mother, Mary, remarried. And a few years later, however, uh, and she calls herself Lou. So instead of Louisa, we're going to call her Lou. Mm -hmm. Lou's stepfather abandoned the family and took, of course, the money with them. And um, some similar things happened, like the Muse brothers. Stepfather walked out, took all their money yeah. um, with them. So same thing. Come son of a bitch. Son of a bitch. Uh, and then just a few uh, years later, Mary Wooser, the mother, died. And... She was like, she was broke. She's broke and died. And uh, Lou had six, there were six girls. So she had like five sisters. Oh my so God. So like all these girls in the family with, you know, instantly became orphaned. Uh, and this was like 1857. So 1857, uh, Lou's older sister, Margaret, left home and became a sex worker uh, in Birmingham, which created shame for the family and when i say the family i'm talking about like extended family not the immediate family like yeah you know the cousins because they're like oh my god not. we can eat again right yeah um so she went there margaret um uh, married when she, you know she became a sex worker but she married several times and eventually owned a brothel in birmingham and went under the name or was known as maggie bracken the youngest sisters Right the day after the mother's funeral, the youngest sisters were placed in Mobile's Protestant Orphan, Orphan Asylum. Uh, Is that what it was called? Orphan Asylum? Orphan Asylum. And the mother obviously didn't want, you know, them to go into an orphanage, but, you know, after she had died. But whoever was taking care of them, the I guess the relatives at the time just, you know, did what they had to do, I guess. So Lou and her sister, her other sister, Jenny, went to live with her older sister, Frances, and her husband, Mr. Van Buren, in mm -hmm. New Orleans. And when they moved down there, and this all happened like in 57, um, when they all split up and went their separate ways. Uh, when she was in New Orleans with her uh, older sister, she was pleading with her brother-in-law to go get the younger sisters because their mother didn't want them in this orphanage. And of course he refused to do it. So 15 year old badass Lou <laughs> gets on a ship, goes to Mobile. She forges a letter uh, from her sister, Frances in her handwriting to uh, claiming that her sister had, was a, unable to retrieve the girls because of illness, but they wanted them. And so to hand them off to Lou. And so she took, uh, she went to Montgomery. She took this note there. They released the girls to Lou and Lewis returned was to return to new Orleans. However, it didn't quite work out that way. She didn't take the sisters, um, back to new Orleans for whatever reason, they took refuge with Robert A. Harris, who was a family friend, and in the future he would be a Confederate major. Um, but anyway, he was the source of her fall from society, basically. Uh -oh. So if she's the oldest of this group of girls, 15 years old. 
she's living with him over in Louisiana, I guess. And uh, the sister's brother-in-law eventually found the girls and took them back to New Orleans. And then Lou worked in a shop, like as, as a shop girl in New Orleans and in East Pascagoula <laughs> uh, for a little bit. And then finally returned to Mobile to live with Harris. They moved around a lot because it was like very much like, you know, Tuscaloosa, Birmingham, Mobile, New Orleans, Pascagoula. I mean, it was like very, there was a lot of traveling going on here. So eventually they moved to Montgomery. Her and Harris moved to Montgomery. She got ill with yellow fever and he abandoned her. Son of a bitch. She was 15 years old at this time. Uh, So another male friend took her in. However, he eventually left her in the care of the sex workers there at a local brothel in Montgomery. Uh, Lou published this book, and this is where a lot of this information is coming from. And she wrote that she fell step by step until at last she was beyond redemption when she was left at that local brothel. Oh, So when she was in Montgomery uh, at 15, of course, the Montgomery uh, madam was like very quick to hire her because she just, you know, she recovered from the illness and she was very pretty and she had this really sweet disposition And so she quickly became like a favorite with the higher class men who visited the house. One of these men happened to be John Wilkes Booth. Ew. So during this time, and this was 1860, so it was like one year right before the Civil War, uh, John Wilkes Booth was uh, performing in a Shakespeare play, and he was Richard III there in Montgomery. So he became one of her loyal customers during like the six weeks that he stayed there in Montgomery. He was going to be like her rescuer. And again, because everything had to be grand with him. Right. <laughs> exactly. He was going to be her rescuer. Damn you, Johnny. The man who saved her from the sex trade, you know, very pretty women, pretty woman kind of scenario here. John Wilkes Booth as <laughs> Richard Gere. <laughs> <laughs> You know, he was going to launch her career on stage. And uh, this seemed to be like the MO between him and his brother. They would find these young women and bed them and then promise them that they were talented young actresses and they were going to launch their career and whatnot. However, she said, you know, mm-hmm. during their rehearsals, you know, he was very, very encouraging. And she was like, really, she was buying it. She was really happy during this time. But obviously that soon ended. What uh, with the assassination and all. Well, yeah, that was like five years later. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, he was very, this, this is kind of weird when I read this. So uh, Booth would go around to the bar rooms in Montgomery and just start running his mouth and talking about how he was loyal to the union. Um, and he was bitterly against succession as he was against uh, abolition. So he basically was wanting he was, I can't understand how you can be loyal to the union and not their ideals because their ideals was for, was like the anti-abolition stuff and, you know, for succession. So I don't know. Very confusing what he was talking about. But basically he wanted things to stay the same. Mm-hmm. Um, he wanted the country not to split apart and, you know, and whatnot. 
and yeah, he wanted everything just to stay the same. So he was an idealist. He, he was, was an like idealist. Completely just not head in, in the clouds, right. no reality. No idealist. reality. Let's and, just and, continue on. Yes. I'm happy right now. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, not selfish at all. Uh, so with him running his mouth, he actually had to sn- he pissed a lot of people off and he had to sneak out of Montgomery, but he told Lou that, um, the war that was coming, he didn't believe it would last long, um, maybe a week or a few months because he didn't think that the country could be broken up over, um, a few fanatics. And that was a quote from him. Uh, and then when it was over, he wanted her to come to him and they would live happily ever after. So this was 1860, war started 1861, and uh, Louise Wooster never saw John Wilkes Booth again after mm. that. However, she did continue to work in the brothel there during the war. After the war, because of her, whatever John, Books, uh, John Wilkes Booth um, instilled in her confidence, uh, she did perform as an actress in Arkansas and New Orleans. However... She like had a brief bout of tuberculosis, and she had to quit her uh, stage career when she was like 27. So after that, she moved back to Mobile and lived there. And soon after moving back to Mobile, like I said, she moved around. She, uh, she went and moved to Birmingham, which is where her sister had the brothel. So this was like 1873. She was 31 when she moved to Birmingham. Birmingham really didn't become Birmingham until like, I mean, it was brand new, like a few years. I think it was like 1871 or so um, when it was like became a city. So she moved to the new city of Birmingham and she became this really colorful character and she was well-paid lady of the evening. She wasn't in a madam yet, but she was, you know, she was pretty. And obviously she was extremely smart and um, knew how to handle herself and became a favorite. However, like the year that she moved there, uh, 1873, was the year that a deadly cholera epidemic broke out in Birmingham. So I had to look up what exactly cholera is and What's the deal with Birmingham in it? So cholera is an intestinal infection that is caused by bacteria that is passed from contaminated food and water, and it causes severe diarrhea and dehydration. So death by diarrhea. Yeah, it is death by diarrhea, basically. And it is said that a guy, what caused it was a guy that had moved to Birmingham from Huntsville, and he lived in Birmingham for six weeks before falling ill with cholera, because uh, he didn't have his bed or his bed accessories with him. So as soon as the rest of his stuff moved down to Birmingham, he actually caught cholera from his bedding, uh, because during that time, Huntsville was having a big cholera epidemic as well. And so he caught it from his bedding, uh, and he died, you know, a few days later. The doctors there didn't suspect cholera, so they didn't identify or treat the body um, of the deceased like they were supposed to. So protocol was not followed. So typically with bodies, um, what you do with the bodies when they have cholera, uh, the bodies, the body fluids, and any items um, contacted by cholera victims are disinfected with carbolic, carbolic acid 
and buried and the bedding and clothing would have been burned. So that's kind of like typical what you do with it. So soon after that, two sisters that lived in the area came down with this. And the sisters lived on this hill above the air, this area in Birmingham called Bacon Sides. But so Bacon Sides was the uh, impoverished, uh, primarily African-American neighborhood. It was, it was the poor area. And she died, the two sisters died from cholera, although, it, again, it wasn't identified as cholera. It, the bodies were in clothing and such. Bedding were improperly managed. The body fluids contaminated the water supply uh. in the community. And within 10 days, people started dying left and right. Oh, my God. So none of the doctors in Birmingham had, like, any direct experience with cholera. They were working under false assumptions. At the time, they thought that the disease was airborne by nature. So they would take pots of tar and burn it on street corners in the belief that the smoke would disinfect the air. And I'm like, that Whose idea is was that? horrible. Ugh. I mean, all that's going to do is run everybody off yeah. because nobody would be able to breathe or who would want to smell all of that, right? Oh, my God. So um, eventually, I mean, just shortly after, like we're talking within weeks or days even, doctors acknowledged that the deaths were the result of cholera and the water started, you know, and it was being transmitted by water. So they started cleaning up their water and burning the clothes and treating the bodies like um, they were supposed to. So in this new city in Birmingham, there's about 4,000 people at the time. Half the people moved out of the city scared to death of cholera. Wow. However, our badass Lou, she stayed to nurse the sick. She fed the hungry. And when people died, she prepared the die, the um, dead for funeral. So She's she, like, I already had yellow fever she's and tuberculosis. Had, and, Fuck you, man. Exactly. And so um, <clears throat> she was a little apprehensive of how her, you know, offers – um, you know, offering to aid the sick would be received since she was um, a sex worker. However, people at that time didn't care. They readily like let her let her into their homes, and she enlisted like the girls in the brothel to um, nurse the sick and dress and um, the dead for burial. She also claimed to have given all of her money that she had to the needy during those dark days. Wow. One of the things. Uh, the official report that was written up about the disease's course in Birmingham uh, did not mention Wooster by name. However, he did include a paragraph um, praising the women of town for their magna- magnanimous behavior and expressing the city's sympathy and gratitude for this, their selfless efforts. So she was like really gained the respect of a lot of people um, during that time. So the epidemic uh, subsided after several weeks. It didn't last really that long, like maybe a month at most. And I don't even think that long, but 128 people died from cholera during that time. Mm. But during those weeks, everybody fled. So half the town in this new prosperous town fled, and it left Birmingham in a state of like economic collapse, basically. Uh and because when everybody left, all the wealthy people hightailed it out of there, Lou lost a lot of her clientele. So she ended up going back to Montgomery and working there. And she stayed in Montgomery and worked um, for nearly a decade 
and she's she's getting older, so this would be you know she'd be in her forties, thirties, forties at this time. <laughs> she's getting older, and, and and not much is known about like when she returned back to Montgomery to work. However, she did mention or was mentioned that um, it was not a good time for her. She called it like a dark time because she was being brutalized by a man there. Mm. So, in 1880, she was 38 this time, 1880, she returned to Birmingham, and obviously she had, she had money on her, and she bought multiple buildings in Birmingham uh, and turned them into brothels near City Hall so that she could attract the wealthiest mm-hmm. of her clientele. She was a smart cookie, let me tell you. <laughs> she made a fortune. She donated heavily to charity, and she frequently came to the aid of fallen women. So in her later years, so she was very successful. And this like this goes on for years. Um, when she got older, she moved into a small house in the south side of um, Birmingham and published her autobiography, the autobiography of a Magdalene. And this was, again, you know, her personal account of her past she died in 1913 so she was 71 years old when she died Mm. from bright's disease which is like a kidney disease and buried at oak hill cemetery and this is really cool so um she when she first moved back to birmingham from montgomery the first like account on paper that they have of her is her purchasing plots like cemetery plots and she was she's buried next to her sister who was also the madam there mm-hmm. in Birmingham and her nephew but she bought uh at Hillside Oak Hill Cemetery she bought adjacent to her own uh decent burials for not only the women of the town like her girls in the brothel like every one of them but also for the members of the staff of her staff because she knew otherwise they would be dumped into graves in the pauper's field oh wow today there is a lou wooster public health award that's presented by the university of alabama and it's presented annually to individuals groups or organizations who are unconventional who are unconventionally public health heroes so they like did an award in her um honor uh one thing about her funeral uh when she died and she had her funeral funeral so many people knew her you know and her of her goodness and her help and stuff in birmingham you know she was a legend and uh but they didn't want their faces seen at the funeral of a madam Mm. there in town so her casket carriage was followed by like a line of carriages that nobody was in but they wanted to show their respect so they sent their carriages without so it was like sending you know their thanks and whatnot Mm. and and respect in the form of carriages to follow her carriage Mm. um let's see 71 1971 uh she was the featured character in beloved valley a historical drama written and performed for birmingham centennial celebration in 2007 the wooster lofts were the first lots developed in birmingham and they were named in her honor wow and she's also been memorialized in an opera written about her life louise the story of a magdalene uh commissioned by the alabama operative works in 2000 and her scrapbook which she kept she kept all the letters from 
um, booth and everything during her life. And you can go view that at the Birmingham uh, History Center. Cool. So that is the badass woman, Louise Catherine Wooster. That's awesome. And, you know, there's a quote. Let's see if I can find that quote from her. That was like really awesome. That she said about men. (laughs) Because basically, I mean, it's, you know, she learned the hard way. You know, she made, she made uninformed mistakes early on as a child. I mean, 15 years old. uh, And she was just doing the best she can. And she just, just came into the hands of some bad people. But she, you know, persevered and got through it. I can't find that quote. I will put the quote up on um, the internet because it's basically she's like, it was like, I've, I know, she's like, I know men. She's like, I know what they're capable of, you know, and I don't know, it was badass. I can't recall it. <laughs> it was just a badass quote. I was like, yeah, lady. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think that. She did what she could to survive and persevere and help others. So it wasn't like just her, but it was also, you know, giving what she got and and taking care of others as well. Very cool. So that's my story. I didn't know anything about that. Now I've got... I didn't either. I've never heard of her. I was going to say Jen's from Birmingham area and she's never heard of her. Yeah. So it's, it's a tale that's out there, but obviously it's not told a lot. That's really, it's funny because you're talking about, it's not funny. You're talking about that carriages following after the um, funeral and everything. And all I'm thinking this entire time you're talking is about harlots and you're, yes. are yes. you, have do you watch harlots? Yeah. If close your ears if you watch the show and you're not <laughs> spoiler up to date or alert. you want to watch it, but all I could think of was Charlotte's funeral in Harlots because uh, about like, but because you know they weren't supposed to really have one, right. and because she had a wealthy benefactress, you know, who wanted her to be honored was the only reason why. But they didn't, you know, so I wonder how realistic that was that they they really did have people walking in. And I wondered that at the time. It was the 1700s in London. It was different. But right. I was but I was still surprised that there were people just walking in processing through to see her right without hiding who they were because right. it it was still like I, it was one of those things that everybody knows that you do it but nobody admits you, to nobody it. Nobody admits to it. That's kind of the running theme with a lot of things, you know, right. over time. It doesn't seem to change that much. Oh, my God. <clears throat> so, anyway, y'all have a great afternoon. Yeah. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and check out our website, thestrangesouth.com. All our social media links are there. And for extra fun and goodies, join our Facebook fan group, Fans of the Strange South Podcast. And if you love us so much that you want to support what we do and get bonus episodes and behind-the-scenes photos and videos, please consider joining our Patreon, Patreon, Patreon at www.patreon.com slash thestrangesouth.